Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 135. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we are going to talk about how we do things more efficiently than we used to do, um, whether that's from a technique perspective, a gear perspective, or some combination thereof, uh, kind of with regards to rifle and with uh, pistol too. Yeah, and a lot of this guy is just talking about, you know, we kind of were joking around about, you know, things we don't do anymore. Um, the things we don't do anymore can can be for a number of different reasons. It can be because we found a more efficient way to do it. It's because we found a way, and that efficiency can be more rounds on target faster, more rounds on target more accurately. More um, rounds on target sooner. More rounds on target sooner, for sure. Um, and some different things like that, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't, and, and again, this isn't to the exclusion of the old way. It's to the idea that, you know, that there's, there might be a better way out there. This is, this is definitely not a the way conversation. It's a way conversation, but it's looking at things that we've seen over the last, in, in our training lives over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, um, you know, being in the industry and then previous to that as well, because there's a lot of stuff that comes out of, you know, in my lifetime in 50 years, um, things that have changed dramatically old school to new school and, and how the efficiencies add up. And so we're going to talk about those over a couple different topics. Mainly we're going to talk about them over handguns and rifles, though, because those are the things that we use to defend ourselves with primarily. Um, I think there's probably some conversations that could go on with this in, in empty hand stuff. They could go on with this with knife stuff, stick stuff, etc. as well, too. Um, so we're going to, we're going to narrow it down to kind of our lane as it were. So, um, uh, starting off with handguns, um, you know, things we used to do, we used to do revolvers. Oh, I just kicked the hornet's nest, didn't I? <laughs> um, we, we, we talked to people about this in the store on a regular basis. Uh, snubbies, great example. Snubbies, a pro's gun, not a, not an amateur or a novice's gun. And we hear still to this day, hear people say, all right, just get the little lady a snubby. Uh, you can't go wrong. Five for sure. Six for sure. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Except if, if you, you know, if, all you gotta do, you don't even have to go to a class. You can just read up on this. Um, I think if you follow like Greg Ellifert's active response training, Greg talks about his snubby class. He does a, a two day snubby class. Yeah, you better bring three guns. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And curiously enough, we say this, we're having this conversation right now. I think the last writer from that class, they didn't actually have any significant malfunctions any catastrophic malfunctions of snub those revolvers in the class so i want to say that his last write-off the guns actually made it through the class um i don't know how many people are in the class i don't know how many rounds etc it's not a super high round count class but it is a down and dirty class it is using the gun up close it's using the gun in contact and stuff like that um, but in general there's a write-up that he does for that class you know every time he runs it that says you know this failed that failed this broke that broke this gun shut down here's why um, you know, it's some of the things you run into with snubbies. Um, and in the reality check that the snubby is, it is, it is a gun that requires some skill to make it work. It's not that, oh, well, if they don't know anything, hand them one of these. Um, if they don't know anything, it doesn't matter what you hand them, you know, they're, they're going to have to figure it out one way or the other. So, so not, not to pick on revolvers, but I mean, I, I own a couple of snubbies and I own a few other revolvers and, and I, I, I honestly can't remember the last time I carried one of them. Um, when you look at what's out there now, uh, if you'd asked me this question two years ago, I'd have said a Glock 43 carries seven rounds instead of five, 40% increase in ammo. It has better sights. Even on a Glock, it has better sights. It has a better trigger. It's slimmer, um, and it, it's, it's just easier to carry and easier to make work. Uh, the reality check is now there are so many small guns out there that can fill the role of a snubby and carry literally two to three times the amount of ammo. 
Um, you know, you look at the Ruger or the Ruger Max 9s as uh, the entry level gun. It's a super inexpensive gun that starts off with 10 rounds. The Smith Shield is now a 10 to 13 round gun. Um, and then you have some of the brilliance of the guns like the P365 XLs and Xs. Um, and the P365, and, and I'm going to get stoned for that one too. Um, the P365 was an absolute turd three years ago when it came out. Uh, the, the 365, 365X, and 365XL seem to have the kinks worked out of them. It's proving itself to be a, a pretty brilliant system and a significant step up over a five-shot snubby. Um, you know, so there's options out there. So that's a great example of things we used to do and the why for what we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pushing forward with handguns specifically, um, and this is something there's got to be a million topics we could bounce off of here. Um, carrying appendix. Carrying appendix is this is another another kick kick the hornet's nest, right? Um, I carry appendix. I'm going to go way back in time for you guys and talk about why I carry appendix. And again, I tell people every day I see appendix as as a way, not the way. Um, there's an argument for if you are a professional at arms and you are in uniform and on duty and you have to carry your gun in a certain position, that carrying your gun off duty might be wise to carry that gun in the same place so that as you reach for that gun, it's where you think it's going to be. Um, does that mean that if you're a police officer, you can only carry a gun strong side, that when you're off duty, you can't carry an appendix or, or someplace else? No, it does not. Um, there, there is something to be said for you'll default to the level of training that you've mastered. And if you switch where you carry your gun out off duty and you haven't trained to get to it in that conversation, um, then, you know, there's, there's, there's some risk there. Um, is carrying appendix the best way to carry a gun? I, I don't know if it's the best way. I know that it works for me. Um, it, it's, it's a little bit quicker to get to. It's a little bit easier to guard. But the big thing with carrying appendix for me that is in general, with my general wardrobe on a day-to-day -day basis, I can hide a full-size gun in almost every contorted body position you can think of. So if I'm bending over to pick something up, I'm not printing like Gutenberg. If I'm at the soccer field changing a diaper for one of my kids and I kneel down, I'm not printing like crazy. Um, appendix has some advantages. Um, and, and so between those three things, between being e easier to conceal um, and, and my, my ample belly helps with that um let's let's face that too but i know a lot of skinny dudes who could carry appendix and conceal you know very well appendix as well um the other thing to consider is that a lot of folks carry things on their belt line in that like one to three o'clock position like cell phones and stuff like that that nobody really looks at something poking through your shirt up front the same way they do as something poking through your shirt on the side um so bear those things in mind you know that's that's another i used to do this now i do this but but it's not necessarily for everybody, depending on what the situation is. The other thing, too, is if you do have that, if your Dunlop is a, is a little bit out of control and it's turned into a, a truck tire Dunlop rather than like a, you know, uh, a 50 uh, aspect ratio Dunlop, yeah. then, you know, you, then, you know go, you may, that may preclude you carrying up front. You may need to rock on the side just to be able to get to your gun. I will tell you, if you watch some of the dudes out there on the interwebs that are doing appendix stuff and i don't mean to pick on these guys because i'm not any more svelte than any of them um, but like scott scott jedlinski from a year ago a um, little bit of belly there good god is he fast um he's a gm class shooter and probably a gm class shooter out of an appendix rig if they let him um you know guys like spencer keepers um not a not a svelte dude uh but can get some work done so you know there's some examples of 
the the how you can make it work and it it might be a better way for a group of folks um you know and it's something that you know you know the whole plaxico burst thing you know okay yeah wear a belt wear a holster not in sweatpants we get it cool thanks and don't shoot your wee wee off yeah we get it keep your finger off the trigger make sure your holster's clear before you jam your gun back in it i get it cool thanks so yeah yeah, I will say going to the Boydum and Gotham holster for me made the appendix thing a reality. Yep. Um, that allows for carrying a full-size double-stack gun with an X300 Ultra or a TLR1 HL Lite on it. Uh, all the curves and things, all the edges and things are well curved so you don't get poked by it. Yep. Um, very well set up. Um, also, the Sarum Solutions holsters um, for a whole bunch of different guns, um, including now the... Glock G19 with a TLR7 or 7A yeah, on the end of it. With the flex, um, yeah. You know, given really good options for running appendix. Um, yeah, I mean, holster options today that didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I used to make holsters, and I couldn't figure out a way to carry a G19 with an X300 on it. And the Gotham, it, the brilliance in the Gotham for a lot of folks is that if you are that guy who carries a different gun every day of the week, so be it. That's not my, that's not my thing, but... It almost doesn't matter what gun you put on the light. You can jam it in that holster because the retention's on the light. And then again, like you said, the adjustable ride height, the fact that you can adjust the ride height on the holster, and then and then the way the holster's made without any sharp edges, it's the most comfortable way that I've found, um, having tried probably half a dozen different appendix-style rigs uh, for the gun with the light, it's it's the most comfortable one I've found. Um, you know, and if, if it, if it works for you, it's brilliant. Uh, it's definitely something to give a try if you want to have that system on you. Um, and as you mentioned before, you know, with the sidearm solution stuff, I just recently switched over to a TLR one or TLR seven, a, um, the flex to try it out. Cause I want to see how the light works. I'm not as concerned about the holster or gun setup. Um, but Jed's come up with a pretty slick holster. I'm really impressed with the retention. I'm really impressed with how the gun comes in and out of it. And the ride height is, is I think, spot on. He hit the ride height uh, right on the head. Um, so, you know, there are some options out there with the sidearms, uh, with the 7A. I want to see how that light does. We've got a couple guys have been running them for over yeah. a year now um, with the new, or uh, about a year with the new switching. Um, and, and while it's definitely not 1,000 lumens, it's 500 lumens, okay, you know, it's, it's still, for that civilian use, that 40, 30 yards and in, it's still enough light, and I think if you're talking about contact, or not contact distance, but realistic encounter distances for a concealed carry permit holder, it's still a ton of light to see what's going on. And if you need it, great. You know, there's always the argument that, oh, well, having a light on a gun does this, that, or whatever. You know, not, not even getting into that, just the ability to be able to do it. The systems are better now than they've ever been. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Um Another one that we're looking at right now that you, I, I think, you know, if you're a gun guy, you kind of see optics on handguns. On handguns is that's a done deal. Um, even if you're not, even if you don't have an optic on every gun you own, you know, there's a lot of dudes out there who are rifle guys. Who, if you opened up the safe, there's a row of rifles, and every single gun in there has some manner of optic on it, whether it's a dot optic, LPVO, whatever. Um, the handgun world, you know, most of the guys out there will have a carry handgun that maybe has a dot on it. And then maybe if they're a duty guy and their agency allows them to carry it on, they might have a duty gun with an optic on it. And, and then from there, there's a couple outliers that have dots on a bunch of guns. Most of those guys are competitive shooters or, or dudes with just more money than me, um, which doesn't take much. Um, you know, how do you, how, do you, uh, how do you make a small fortune in gun sales? Start with a big one. Start with a big one. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's this reality check around that. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, looking at optics on handguns are are not like, I think this is a thing. They're a thing. 
Um, it, everything it does for you on a rifle, it does for you on a handgun. Um, maybe so even more so. Maybe maybe even more so. The only argument I have against the optic on the handgun is the lack of stability that you have with four points of contact on a long gun. Um, when you bring it, when you bring up the long gun, you almost can't help but look through the optic if it's mounted properly and it's a decent optic. The handgun, I think, if you for a newer shooter, I, I think there's a little bit of work that actually creates a better foundation if you take a newer shooter out and teach them to shoot with the handgun first because you're teaching them a draw stroke and a presentation that lends them to where their sight should be. But you're teaching them how to do it with a sight system that's less complicated. Yeah. So if you, you know, so there's, there's this argument too around, I'll get somebody to shoot their irons real well first and then switch them over to an optic. Then it's like, oh yeah, punish the shit out of somebody so you can tell them what a good job they're doing later. Um, I think there's a reality check to giving somebody the easy button, letting them gain confidence in getting the gun out where it's supposed to be, learning proper grip, proper draw stroke, proper trigger press, um, and how to control the gun, not move the sights as you press the trigger. And then once they've got that master with a dot, pushing it backward and making it a little bit harder by throwing in a sighting system like regular open sights on a gun. Um, and again, you know, as far as options go, you know, the Trichgun RMR is the gold standard. You know, that's something that, you know, I have on one of my guns um, and that I'm, I'm probably not going to be without an RMR at some point because I just think that's a, a good optic durability-wise. But if you look at what's out there around the Hollow 7s, the 507s on the big guns, and then the 407s and the 509 box optics and stuff like that, there's a lot of really good options out there from a bunch of different manufacturers. Primarily, we just work with Trichicon and Hollow Sun just based on durability. Yeah. But I'm sure there's other good options too, so... Anything to add to the handguns? Yeah, the other big thing with running the optic on the handgun is <clears throat> it allows you to stay target focused with your vision. True. Um, and this comes into, you know, a newer shooter wants to look at the target. They don't want to look at their sights. Yeah. Uh, once most of us hit that middle age point where our eyes don't do what they used to do when we were 18. Yeah. Um, being able to run target focused solves all kinds of problems yeah. with seeing the sights, seeing the target. Um, it's a lot faster when you start talking about target to target transitions. And honestly, in a, in a stress situation, uh, unless somebody is extremely highly skilled, uh, it's really hard to force your eyes to go back to your front sight on an iron-sided handgun. Sure. Whereas with the optic, you're able to stay <coughs> in your target focus. You're able to keep your, keep your attention more on what's this person doing, what's in their hands. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because all you're doing is superimposing a dot on it, so... Um, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with that, hundred um, percent. So, and I would say all of the the super high speed ninja go fast like hostage rescue guys have gone to dots. Yeah, or I, yeah, I, I don't know because I don't know any yeah, of those guys or personally. They, but they, they're actually you know shooting enough rounds and training and things that they can overcome that. I don't want to look at the front sight problem. Yeah, yeah, that that's that for sure, and that's always been the issue is that you know when you talk to. Um, after action review for gunfights, you know, you either get the, um, I heard this pop, pop, pop in the distance. I realized it was my gun going off in my own hand, shooting the bad guy. And, and gosh, he's down and I must have done everything right. Or you got really lucky. Um, and we just had a conversation around that just because you got lucky doesn't mean that that's like a skill. Um, you know, so, but anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, but, and then, and then the dudes who were out there who were like, yeah, I remember, you know, I remember seeing my front sight crystal clear, right? We're supposed to be and the gun bucked and the front sight came back down and the gun bucked again. And it's like, yeah, everything that was supposed to do. <coughs> that's generally somebody that has a lot of reps. That's very highly skilled. 
Um, you know, we talk about things like, you know, a thousand reps to kind of forge a basic skill, but then 10,000 reps to refine it conversation. Um, the guy who saw that front sight and was able to press through the trigger is probably that somebody who's way past a thousand presentations and maybe way past 10,000 presentations at that point. Finding probably that front past a hundred thousand. And yeah, and literally, you know, um, he's the dude who's, who's, who's getting ready to cut fits and slit throats because he's trained to do it. So um, keep an eye on that dude. He's probably the guy that's going to lead you home. So cool. Um, and, and guys, these are just a few topics we're going to throw out there. There are 11 billion. Um, I, I'm going to throw out a real broad one without digging into it with any depth. Modifying your gun. You, you hear us religiously say, don't unglock your Glock, don't unglock your Glock, don't unglock your Glock. Almost always, right after that, we say, you know, it's cool to try a modification that you want to do on a gun if you can if you can articulate the justification for modifying your weapon, um, and it doesn't create any safety issues or anything of that nature, um, and it gains you some manner of efficiency. I'll um, be whether that be on a handgun or a rifle. In this case, I'll talk specifically about handguns. Um, you know, a, a better trigger in a gun. Um, you know, Brian, you shoot Gen 3 Glocks, no problem at all. Uh, bone stock, no big deal. I, I really feel like that back wall is a challenge for a lot of shooters. I feel like, you know, the way you hit that hammer and then have to press through it requires to have a grip like you have, requires to have that hand strength like you have, um, and maintain the gun being solid. Having a little bit lighter trigger is not that big of a detriment to me, as long as you don't go crazy. Taking a half a pound off a Glock trigger to, to ease up that back wall and let you squeeze through and roll the shot rather than have to hammer through the back wall, um, I think it's a very good thing. Um, there are some things that are way less critical from a safety perspective, uh, like if you like oversized mag releases because you've got small hands, but they don't interfere with holsters or make mags fall out prematurely, things of that nature. Um, you know, those are all good things. The Vicar stuff's, you know, been solid. Yeah, those um, work really well for people with big hands, too. They do, absolutely. And slide releases, same conversation like I run the Vicar slide releases, um, even on the Gen 5 guns because it's just bigger enough. Um, you know, that leads us to the overhand rack versus, you know, versus running the slide release. Um, if you look at efficiencies, um, you know, I, I, I came into shooting firearms, especially auto pistols in the Smith & Wesson world. And Smith & Wesson back in the day with some of the four-digit and three-digit and even two-digit semi-auto hand model number handguns, um, whether you're working 39s, 59s, or whether you were lurk, working, um, you know, 645s or a 945 back in the day, um, or some of their four-digit series guns, you had a great big shelf to release the slide with. And Glock went away from that. Glock calls that a slide lock, not a slide release. Um, I, and, but I still learned how to slingshot the gun and how to rack around into the chamber and do those different things. And then some of the more formal training that I started off with were guys like Jaeger and Tactical Response that, you know, slam the mag in, overhand rack, and go on. And it's a very sure way to do things, and I'm not willing to say it's wrong, um, at all. I'm not willing to go anywhere near that, especially for a novice, uh, but finding that slide release, if it's something where you've mastered all the other things around shooting that gun, um, it's an, it's an efficiency gainer to smack that slide release with your offhand. Um, if you're shooting the gun two handed anyway and make it work for you. I, I understand that, you know, the reason some of the guys teach the slingshot is because it applies to everything you're going to do with the gun from admin loading to clearing malfunctions, uh, to a bunch of different things. But I also think that once you've kind of got your skill set nailed down, that you can gain a lot of efficiency by going to that, you know, that that offhand or even same hand slide release if your hands are big enough. Um, and that's where we're chasing. That's a big part of this conversation today is I'm gaining efficiency. And it's it's literally for some folks, it's a quarter to a half a second. I'd say it's probably it's, it's a quarter. Se it's a, a quarter. Second, it's a quarter easy. second for me easily 
Um, and I think it could be up to a half a second depending on the situation, especially if I'm in an oddball situation, if I'm rollover prone, shoot underneath the car and got to reload or something like that, it's probably a significant time gain because you're crunched up in a small space versus standing up, it might be still pretty quick. I, there's no way it's not a quarter second. Um, I can't remember who put the vid. There's a video out there, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna reference the video um, because like, I don't know the guy that did the video, and quite honestly, he seemed like a little bit of a douchebag that was trying to sell something. But they did it under time to show you the you know the efficiencies of it, and it was like I said, it was almost half a second. And I think even for a skill shooter, it's at least a quarter second. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. So, yep. Um, handguns again, on and on and on and on and on. Uh, I'm trying to think of. Um, I, I'm not going to pick, you know, leather versus Kydex. I'm not going to pick on leather versus Kydex because there's an argument that leather retains better if you're not talking about a retention type holster. If it's click in, click out for Kydex, um, or just drop in for a leather, <coughs> the leather, leather holster is molded to the gun and actually can create some advantages in retention. Um, for somebody who's not the guy carrying it to draw the weapon can be a little bit harder because it sticks to the gun unless you're running the normal draw stroke. Um, I, I, there's there's a longevity issue there, but nothing lasts forever. So we'll leave we'll leave holsters we'll leave those alone and not pick on anybody. And 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 that would actually be a cow. That would yeah. be slaying a sacred cow because they're made out of leather. Uh, but I'm not anti-leather. I just I think I think Kydex is probably a better mousetrap at this point from a maintenance perspective and longevity perspective. But um, still viable. Uh, again, a way, not the way. What else on handguns? Anything else that pops into your brain? <laughs> We covered a bunch of things on handguns. Yeah, yeah. So, and again, yeah. just a sample of things. When, when you know, at the end, at the end of all the podcasts, we say, "Hey, we'd love to talk to you guys about this." We'd love to talk to you guys about this. If you're doing something on your weapon system on a handgun, you know, that's more efficient. I'd, if you're stopping the shop, let's have a conversation about it. Uh, hit us up because I'd love to know. You know, hey, I'm trying this G-Gar widget, and uh, expect me to be dubious because I'm a crusty old dude and I'm kind of dubious about new stuff. But <clears throat> if you can show me why. Um, or we can have a conversation about it. I always want to know if there's a better way or a better mousetrap. So, uh, rifles. Yeah, rifles. Um, same thing. Um, some of us came out of the, call it the Jaeger tactical response school where you use the charging handle to do everything. Yep. Um, using the ping pong paddle to release the bolt is again, biomechanically more efficient. It's a lot faster. Well, and it may allow you to do it a little bit easier in a confined space too. If yeah. you're jammed up in a vehicle and stuff like that, getting back to run the bolt. Um, if you're if you're trying to use well, cover efficiently, if you got a, a mil spec charging handle. Yep. 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 Uh, which isn't really you know one hand friendly. Yep. Which has to come. Yeah. You've got to now. You've got to do the. I'm shifting my firing. Well, and that that was the big thing for me was getting your. If you're running a mil spec charging handle, you you're going to remove your firing hand from the grip of the gun, come up and charge it. Or you're going to slap it to the rear. Um, I, I know that a lot of guys out there have said they've never had a problem with a mil-spec charging handle doing that, running it with your left hand. But I, I broke a Colt charging handle. Um, <coughs> I broke a Colt charging handle within probably just a, probably a few thousand rounds of starting to run the gun like that after taking one of the classes where I'm like, oh, hey, this is a better way to do this. Um, and then I got a charging handle that was a, I don't know what it was. It was a somebody's brand, but I don't know who made it. And I broke it on the first freaking slap. It's like, okay, this doesn't work. Um, that is where running different charging handles actually matters. Um, I, I, the new Bravo Company charging handles, I'm not crazy about. The old ones were freaking awesome. Um, I'm going to tell you the Radians and the Geisleys, I have beaten the living crap out of the Radians and the Geisleys. Uh, I got two different Geisleys and two different, and then a Radian, a couple Radians, 
and have run them hard, and I'm not gentle with them. I don't do anything nice to them, and they I've not had any failures, any issues like that. Um, better way to do it. Yeah. Better way to do it. Faster way to do it. Better way to do it. If you're going to um, slap it, but the ping pong paddle, and then also on top of the ping pong paddle, like the maritime bolt catches um, and the bad levers, those are those are different devices for different things, but they also help out with that too. Yeah, and honestly, running like I run the either a radiant charging handle. Uh, or one of the old school Bravo charging handles around yeah. the maritime bull catch on all my guns. Yep. Uh, those things together make life a lot easier. Especially when you get into malfunctions. Yep. Um, you know, we talk, I, you guys have heard me talk about the bad lever. Um, I don't use the bad lever to load the gun. I use the bad lever to unload the gun. Um, it just so happens, though, if you need to lock the bolt open with your toe um, or with an elbow or with a knee or something like that, it does that brilliantly. Um, you know, same thing with the maritime bolt catch or some of the oversized bolt catches. And they don't get in the way and catch on crap. So all those things matter. Yeah. Um, but but definitely a better way to do things. Um, beyond that, um, control surfaces, triggers. Uh, you know, even even Daniel Defense. You know, we joke around about man. I'm glad Glocks don't come with good sights because I'd have to throw them away and put the sights I want on them. Um, most Daniel Defense guns come with a mil spec trigger that's perfectly serviceable. Um, I'm really glad they don't put $240 Geisleys in them because I'd have to throw it away and put a $240 Geisley that I wanted in it. Um, not the one they sent with it. Uh, you know, who knows that kind of thing, but having a better trigger, a nice two stage Geisley, um, or, or even one of the, uh, ALG ACT triggers uh, or a Bravo P and T trigger are all significant upgrades to the gun. If you're running a mil spec stock trigger, definitely recommend triggers on ARs, not race competition, quarter ounce triggers, crap like that, but legit working triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Optics, I'm not, I'm, I'm rather than worry about like a specific, you know, going to optics, how much better optics are. I think that's a no brainer. I mean, even the military called into that 20 years ago. I don't think they issue a long gun now without an optic of some sort. Matter of fact, even the Marine Corps now is doing yeah. all their quals with, uh, with magnified optics, not just optics, but I think actually magnified optics in this case, whether it's an old school TA 11 or whether it's a new SIG Tango six or something, Tango, whatever, yeah, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, there's no doubt there, uh, but I would like to touch on um, dot versus fixed power versus um, uh, low-power variables. <coughs> We've been <coughs> pushing low-power variables. You've been running them for years now. Um, I got into LPVOs just in the last couple years, and I, 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 yeah, I've always been a big fan of the 3X, the 3-power ACOG. We had that conversation quite a bit. Um, it's a brilliant little optic. It does a lot of things. Um, I was convinced for years that there really wasn't a better fighting optic available that did everything on a gun. Um, but with some of the more durable LPVOs out there, I do think the LPVO is a better mousetrap. Um, if you're only going to be doing up close stuff, um, then I get the idea of a red dot. If you want just the utmost in simplicity, lightweight, etc., um, then I definitely get the idea of just the red dot. But if there's if you want any versatility at all, I think the LPVO has really come into the game now with companies like US Optics and Trichicon um, and some others that are albeit premium brands, they're not cheap. There are some just absolutely brilliant one to sixes and one to eights out there that you should be looking at at this point. And I think a lot of those optics now, if your gun, if you view your gun as a general purpose gun, um, I think it's brilliant. If you if you view your gun as an inside the house only home defense gun, then a dot's probably fine. Uh, having said that, if it's a general purpose gun and you have it set on one power, um, it's a dot. Yep. 
So I'll, I won't beat that horse because we beat it a lot. But that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. Um, single point versus two point slings. Um, I, I there's still a place for a two point or a single point sling if you are professionally kicking indoors for a living, um, and you need to be able to sh- and, and you train and are skilled enough to shoot off of both shoulders. Um, then there might be a legit conversation about running a single point sling through a structure, etc. If that's what you do for a living. Um, having said that, most quick adjust slings will allow you to transition shoulders no problem. Um, but they stabilize the gun so much better when you're not in movement, when you're, when you're moving around and don't need hands on the gun or different things of that nature. Um, the single point sling thing, guys, if you run a single point sling, generally you should have a hand on your gun at all times, uh, to maintain that weapon as a safe device on you, because you're probably wearing crap that can get into the trigger guard, catch, make the gun go bang. And yes, you should have safed the weapon when your hands came off of it, but maybe you didn't, or maybe it got brushed back in a different direction, whatever the case may be. So understand that if you're running a single point sling, that is a limitation versus with a two pointer, you can set it down tight and have it stable and be able to get your hands into another task, whatever that may be. And most good modern two point slings now can be convertible or made to be convertible to single point if you needed to. Yeah. Um, just a lot more stability, a lot more comfort. And, and again, we're back to not the way, but a way you may be in a job field or doing something where the single points advantageous. That's totally cool. But the vast majority of the time, most folks are better off with a two-point, especially a quick adjust. So, um, anything to add to that? The uh, really good options on the the two-point quick adjust slings from Blue Force Gear with the Vigor slings, yep. and then also from Magpul with the MS4 and is it the MS1. I think the MS1. Yeah, the MS1 can be made. Uh, it's a uh-huh. quick adjust two-point can be made however you want. Doesn't have buckles. So, yeah. 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 Uh, lights. Yes. Um, lights on rifles, especially guys, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, this is going to be like a shots fired. This is the shot over the bow. Surefire. If you're listening, yank your head out of your ass. Um, you are getting left behind. Uh, I, and, and this is from the fat guy behind the counter in Ohio, in Ohio, um, who doesn't know anything much less the dudes out there, you know, that are training and running and seeing how these things work. Um, there's this big reality check right now that, that, there's companies like like Modlite, and then for us, the cloud defensive stuff, um, Surefire's getting left in the dust. I still think a 1500 lumen Surefire Scout would not be a bad option for folks, but for the same money, when you look at switching integration and stuff like that, there's not even a conversation about running a RAIN Micro <coughs> or a RAIN Standard or an Owl, even for that matter, except for the Owl's kind of a wintertime girlfriend. She's, she's thick, but we like her. Um, she gets work done. Um, the, the, the amount of reach, the, the light tone um, with the cloud defensive products, especially the light tone is a very warm tone. It cuts through, um, you know, visual barriers like fog, smoke, things of that nature, rain and whatnot, snow, uh, snow it, and it, it is truly a better mousetrap. So um, if you're running your old school Guat Surefire 900 series, 125 lumen or 250 lumen scout light on your rifle, um, Arlie Ermy's calling to you from the grave, telling you to step up your game, son. Um, step up with the times, so because uh, you're you're shooting with ghosts if you're running something that old. Um, but even the new stuff compared to what's available rifle-wise right now is just outstanding. Um, Durability's there. Everything about it, it's a better mousetrap. So look it up up in your light game a little bit if you're still running old school. If you're doing incandescent, I don't even know what to tell you. Sorry. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, you know, the Amish called them once or twice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're just better mousetraps out there. Uh, but definitely, the light game has changed dramatically in the last two years. Uh, so take a look at that. Um, I don't know, guys. I mean, I feel like we're you know these are again. I don't, I don't. I don't really actually think we're slaying any sacred cows. I think anybody who's hip to this stuff knows what's going on. Most of this audience is probably nodding their head, going, "Yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that." Um, you know, if this is something you can push out to a buddy to let them know, you know, why they either want to catch up. You know, I was in the army 20 years ago. My angle head flashlight does everything I needed to do. Okay, maybe not. Um, you know, maybe push this out to that guy, or if you got new folks, maybe push it out to somebody who's new and go from there and see if you can't get them some good information. So I don't know what else. What do you want to add on rifles? <coughs> I think that's most things on rifles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah again, a million different topics. Um, if you got something you're doing with the system that, that you think that we didn't touch on, um, by all means, I'd love to hear from you in the shop or, you know, whatever, and let us know and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying this device out or that device out. Uh, can we, you know, can we slap one of these, you know, can we? you guys should try this and see what you think of it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the one thing I would add for rifles, um, suppressors on rifles are awesome. Yeah. You should, if you haven't gone down that route, you really should. It will make your life better. It will make everybody at the range's life better. Yeah. Uh, in the event you need to touch off a round inside your house for a defensive encounter, um, it will save your hearing, um, your family's hearing. Yeah. Um, so do do please check out, you know, suppressors for rifles. Uh, lots of good stuff for that over at our uh, storefront on silencershop.com. Um, you can find out more about that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, go to the suppressor page and kind of lists out how that works and then gets you over to Silencer Shop uh, where they have an outstanding inventory for rifle, sele- rifle suppressors. Uh, also on our website, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer. Uh, on our social media, we're at Facebook and Instagram. We post uh, new inventory in the store up there. Also training information and interesting articles and things we come across. Uh, our newsletter comes out once a week on Fridays. You can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. We will happily add you to the newsletter list. And then lastly, uh, please come visit us at the store. We're in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. Uh, we're directly next to Louie's Fusion Grill, and we're here Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Appreciate it.